opportunities that I had. One of the great opportunities I had was to study overseas for a semester. And I chose to study in Israel, the Holy Land. And, and because I was there with a class with the university, we were able to go to some places and see some things that, that at that point in time, ordinary tourists were not able to do and see. And one of the things we did was we went into the Sinai Peninsula and we stayed at St. Catherine's. St. Catherine's is a Greek monastery. It's the oldest monastery in the world. It was built around the 6th century A.D. And at St. Catherine's was found the oldest copy of the entire Bible. It was written around 350 A.D. Think about that. An entire copy of the Bible from 350 A.D. St. Catherine's is, is said by tradition to be the place where Moses saw the burning bush and, and heard from God. It is, it is built on a plateau where the people of Israel supposedly spent that 11 months hearing those instructions from God. When we got to St. Catherine's on that first day, we, we toured the monastery, we, we had a class, and, and then we went to bed. And, and very early the next morning, actually in the middle of the night, we got up and hiked up to the peak of, of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, Mount Sinai is about 7,500 feet above sea level. To put that in comparison... Mount Mitchell, which is the highest mountain east of the Mississippi, is about 6,600 feet above sea level. St. Catharines is built on the plateau, which is about 2,200 feet from the peak. And so we got up early in the morning. We started hiking up that mountain in the dark. And we got to the peak before sunrise. And we were able to see the sunrise over those mountains and see the majesty and the splendor of God. And as I was standing there, just taking it all in, I thought to myself that I may be standing in the exact place that Moses was standing when God spoke to him. And with his very finger wrote out the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone. And then as I was thinking that, it dawned on me that the Word of God that we have today is just as much written by the hand of God as those Ten Commandments were on those tablets of stone. And so as we open up God's Word each and every week and, and we let God's Word speak to us, we need to understand that this is not some ordinary book. This is a book that comes from the very hand and the very mouth of God. And so I want you to turn with me this morning to Exodus 19. We're going to be focusing on Exodus 19 and 20 as we continue our walk through the book of Exodus. And as we open up Exodus 19 and we begin looking at verses 1 and 2, we discover that the Israelites are camped right there at the base of Mount Sinai, that mountain that is called the mountain of God. And as they looked up that mountain, I, I imagine that their minds raced back to what had happened the last several months. You see, just a couple of months earlier, they were prisoners, they were slaves in Egypt, but now they were free people. 
God had supernaturally rescued them, and they were on the way to the promised land. But before they went any further, they had to stop here because God was about to speak to them. And God was going to instruct them and give them the laws that they needed to follow as they entered into the land that God was about to give them. But they were not only going to hear from God, we're going to see in a few minutes that they were going to experience God in a way that they had never experienced God before. Now, as we walk through these chapters, we're going to discover three truths about God and our relationship with Him. The first truth is this. God invites His people into a covenant relationship. You need to understand that God has always called His people into a covenant relationship. Listen to what it says beginning in verse 3 of chapter 19. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant... You will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. Now, as you read these next several chapters, you will see Moses continuing to go up and down the mountain. The Bible tells us that Moses is the mediator between God and God's people. And Moses would go up the mountain, he would receive the message from God, then he would come down the mountain, and he would deliver the message to God's people. Now, as God begins to give Moses his message, he first of all reminds them what he has done for them. And he tells them, I carried you out of Egypt. I brought you to where I am. They didn't do anything to get to where they were. It was all God. And we need to be reminded today that our salvation isn't dependent upon anything that we do. It is dependent upon God coming into our situation and rescuing us. Deuteronomy 32 says it this way. He found them in a desert in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. The Lord alone guided them. You see, they didn't do anything. All they did was follow God. And God actually said, I carried you. I'm the one who brought you. And then God calls them into a covenant relationship. As we open up the pages of the Bible, we see time and time again that our God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. God called Noah into a covenant relationship. God said, because you have found favor in my eyes, I'm not going to destroy you as I destroy all the earth. 
And then God made another covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again. And the sign of that covenant was the rainbow. And God made a covenant with, with Abraham. God said, from all the peoples of the earth, I've chosen you to be my special person. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. And from you, I'm going to raise up descendants that will bless the world. Many nations will come from you. And I'm going to give you a land. And then God gave a um, sign as a promise of the covenant. And that sign was circumcision. And now God is making a covenant with all the people. Now, as we look at God's covenants throughout the Bible, we discover that God is always the one who makes the terms for the covenant. You see, we don't come to God negotiating. Some of us think we do. We think that we come to God and we lay our demands on the table and then God puts his demands on the table and, and we negotiate back and forth and then we come up with this covenant that we both agree on. But that's not how it is. You see, a covenant with God is not a covenant among equals. God is God. He is the creator God. He is the sovereign God. And God doesn't ask you his opinion when he makes a covenant with us. He gives us the covenant, and then he expects us to obey him. But he tells us, if we obey him, his promises are going to be amazing. Now listen to what he promised Israel. He said, if you will obey my covenant, I will make you my own special treasure. Now, if you continue to read this passage, you'll discover that the Bible makes it clear that God owned everything. He owned all the nations. He owned all the world. But out of every single nation in the world, God said, I have chosen you, and you are going to be my prized possession. That word that is used here, that's translated prized possession, special treasure, it's only found eight times in the Old Testament. Two times it refers to a prized possession of a king. Six times it refers to Israel. Most often in ancient Hebrew, this was used to describe a king's very own special treasure. This is what someone said about this word. They said in olden days, a king was the ultimate owner of everything in the land he ruled. He owned every building, every farm, every coin. But that kind of owning could give him little personal satisfaction. Consequently, in his palace, he kept a treasure chest of his very own in which he delighted to store the precious stones and objects of art which he loved to handle. In the same way, God, who made the whole earth and to whom all nations belong, looked now upon Israel as his peculiar possession. God was saying of all the people who have ever lived, of all the people who have ever walked, I'm making a covenant with you. And if you will obey me, if you will keep my covenant, you of all people will be my special prized possession. Now, my son Josh didn't have a lot. To be honest with you, he struggled. And there were times in his life that he would struggle to pay his bills, and he didn't have enough to pay his rent or to do other things. And, and I, would, I would tell Josh, Josh, why don't you sell some of the things that you have so you can pay your bills? Because my son had some prized possessions. 
some things that were very special to him. But no matter how hard up he got, no matter how tough it was, he would never part with his prized possessions. Now, his prized possessions weren't that big of a deal probably for some people. I mean, one of his prized possessions was a drumstick from a band. And, and I don't even know the name of the band, but it's signed by one of the band members. And he got this when he went to a concert. That was a prized possession of his. He had uh, different, different movie memorabilia. He loved Star Wars. He loved Batman. And he had various things that, that he would display that he had that um, he, he wouldn't part with. But my, my son Josh, he had this box. It was a treasure box under lock and key. And in that treasure box, he had his special things. And, uh, and a few of the things he had were some comic books. My son loved DVDs. I mean, he had boxes and boxes of DVDs. And he loved comic books. He had boxes and boxes, and we still have those boxes and boxes of comic books. But in his treasure chest, he has some special comic books. Like he's got an issue one Spider-Man comic book. And he's got some others like that that, I mean... He kept them. If you look at it, you can see that they're in plastic. You know, they weren't meant to be handled and coddled. They were meant to be taken out every now and then and admired and looked at. And, and this was his prized possession. And that's what the Bible says we are to God. We're his prized possessions. And then God says this. He says that you will be a kingdom of priests. This is the only place in the Old Testament that this word is found. The only place. Now, in the Old Testament, you had priests. And these priests were the only ones who could make sacrifices to God. This passage isn't saying that anyone could go into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifices. You couldn't do that. But what God was saying is... If you will obey my covenant, I'm going to make every one of you a kingdom of priests. You have a responsibility to share with the world who I am and what I have done for you. You are a kingdom of priests, bringing the world to me. And then he said, you are a holy nation. Later on in the book of Leviticus, God said, Be holy because I am holy. That word holy, it means pure. It means free from sin. We, we know how at the fall of man, sin entered the world and contaminated everything. And our world is contaminated with sin. But God is free from sin. And God says that you and I are to be pure and, and separate from sin as he is. But this word means more than that. It means dedicated to God's purpose. You see, when something was holy in the Old Testament, it means it was just to be used for God. And so God is saying here, if you will obey the covenant, if you will keep your end of the agreement, out of all of the people of the world, you are going to be my prized possession. You are going to be a kingdom of priests, letting the world know who I am 
and you were to be a holy nation, not like the world tainted by sin. No, you're to be consecrated, set apart, different from the world, free from sin. Now, what does that have to do with us today? Because this was a promise to Israel, right? It was a covenant that God made to Israel. Well, here's what it says in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. What the Bible says here is that when you and I come to God through faith in Christ, we become his chosen people. We become his very own possession. God loves us above everyone and everything else. We are his prize possessions. Now, some of you might say, well, that's condescending. God talking to us like we're his possession. Well, we are. He's the creator. He made us. You didn't make yourself. God made you. You're his possession whether you acknowledge it or not. And the Bible says that those of us who by faith have come to Jesus are his prized possessions. But we're to be a royal priesthood, telling others the night and day difference that God has made in our life. But we're also to be a holy nation, a holy people. We are called through Jesus to live separate from sin, set apart from sin. We're no longer to allow sin to control our life. And so God gave Moses this covenant and said, go give the covenant to the people. And Moses went down the mountain. And he told the people what God said. And you know what the people said? Everything that God has said, we will do. And I believe with all my heart they were sincere. I believe they meant everything they said. I mean, they weren't speaking out of one side of their mouth. They weren't saying one thing, intending to do another thing. No, they really meant business. We're going to follow God. We're going to obey the covenant. We're going to do what God tells us to do. But you only have to read several chapters over to discover that they're already putting other gods before God. They're breaking the covenant. At their very best, God's people broke the covenant time and time time again and so God gave the prophet Jeremiah a message he gave him a promise a prophecy of a new covenant that was going to happen in Jeremiah 31 it says the day is coming says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt they broke that covenant though I love them as a husband loves his wife says the Lord but this is the new covenant I will make with my people of Israel on that day says the Lord I will put my instructions deep within them I will write them on their hearts I will be their God. They will be my people. And they, they will not even need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. God is saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. And as we get to the New Testament, we discover that that New Testament has been written in the blood of Jesus. 
When Jesus was, was looking at the cross the night before he was crucified and he held up that wine and he held up that bread, he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant. This bread represents my body, the new covenant, which will be broken for you. And in the book of Hebrews, we are told that when Jesus came, the old covenant has been replaced with a new covenant. You see, we're no longer under the covenant of the law. We're under the covenant of grace. And here's what I know. I want you to listen to me. The law of grace will always compel us to do more than the law of the law could ever force us to do. And the Holy Spirit living within us can give us not only the desire but the power to live a life that is pleasing to Him. So God calls His people into a covenant relationship. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are God's prized possession. We are a holy nation. We are a kingdom of priests. But let's move on. The second thing we see here is, is that God warns His people not to approach Him casually. You see, many people today have this idea that we can approach God on our terms. We, we can approach God any way we want, but that's crazy. You see, we have to approach God the way God says that we approach Him. We don't approach God any way we want. We approach God the way God says that we can approach Him. So listen to what it says, beginning in verse 9. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear me when I speak to you. Then they will always trust you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure that they are ready on the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. Now, I want you to imagine this. God tells Moses that he is going to come down on Mount Sinai and he's going to speak in such a way that every single person hears his voice. But before he does, he tells Moses, you've got to go and make sure the, red, the people are ready and prepared to meet me. And so he tells Moses what he has to do. He says, first of all, you've got to make sure the people are consecrated. That word is the same word that is translated holy in verse 3. God calls us to be a holy nation. And so what God is telling Moses is this. You need to make sure that the people are separated from sin. You need to make sure they are pure. And then to make sure that they understood, God tells them that they need to be clean on the inside and the outside. He says, not only get your hearts ready, you need to get your clothes ready. You need to come to me clean in every single way. And then God says, I want to warn you, put boundaries up around the mountain and let no one touch the mountain because I 
am holy. And then he says, if anyone touches the mountain, kill them. Now that's harsh, isn't it? I mean, that's serious stuff here. But I want you to know what this tells us. It tells us that we don't approach God flippantly. We don't approach God casually. We approach God with awe and with fear. Listen to me very carefully. We've lost this all of God in the church today. We come to church with a casual attitude. Listen to me. Listen, people. There's a difference between casual dress and a casual attitude. You see, some people say that, that, well, we need to approach God with our suit and our tie and and our Sunday best. And and that's okay. If that's what you want to do, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. Go for it. But that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about our attitude toward God. We recognize that God is holy and we never approach God with disrespect or thinking that he He owes us something. By the way, this is why it is so important for us when we come to God in prayer to begin our prayer time confessing our sins and repenting of our sins. Why? Because our God is a holy God. And when we come into his presence, we need to be ready and we need to be prepared and we need to be a holy people. And and so Moses went down the mountain. He told the people to get ready. And and they consecrated themselves for two days. And then on the third day, God came down. And if you read this passage, you'll read that this cloud came down out of heaven. And there was thunder. And there was lightning. And there was rumbling. And everybody and their brother and their sister and their mama and their daddy and their cow and their cat were scared to death. Because God had come down. Can you imagine? This cloud starts coming in over the mountain. And you hear the thunder and you see the lightning. And then all of a sudden, everything starts quaking like an earthquake. Some of you who are old enough, remember that movie Independence Day, the first one? Remember it? Great movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. But so we're being attacked by aliens. And this alien ship that's huge comes in all over the world. There's like seven of them. And there's this one coming in over New York City. And as it's coming in over the city, it's surrounded by this cloud. And you see this light. And the people hear this and see it. And everybody just stops what they're doing and looks in awe. And I imagine that's what happened this day. God came down on that mountain, the people were all struck. By the way, you know, occasionally somebody will say something about the haze machines we got or the lights we have. And hey, why do we have that? Well, we're trying to redo Mount Sinai. <laughs> I mean, goodness gracious, when God shows up, it's a multi sensory experience. That's what God did here. And the Bible says that that Moses would speak to God and God would thunder his reply. And then God told Moses to come back down the mountain again and warn the people one more time, don't come near the mountain. Wow. 
God warns us to not approach him flippantly. Now, what does that have to do with us today? When Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews is, is remembering this experience. And this is what he says. Listen to what it says. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No, you have, you've come to Mount Zion, to, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to Jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for, for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Be careful, listen, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger. Will we certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven? I mean, what God is saying here is, is if the people did not escape, if they didn't take seriously God speaking through Moses with all the thunder and all of the lightning and all of the trembling, then how much more serious should we take it that God sent his son to die for us? When God speaks to us, and offers us this gift of salvation and extends to us this covenant relationship, we should take it seriously. We should give our life to Him. So God calls us to covenant relationship. He's called us, like the Israelites, to be His special prized possessions, to be a kingdom of priests, a holy people. God warns us not to approach Him casually. He warns us to listen when he speaks, but then finally God gives his conditions for the covenant. And that's the Ten Commandments and the book of the covenant as we continue to read. You see, this is how the people were to live in God's kingdom. Now, there's something important for you to see here. If you look at Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now let's stop there. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery. Were they about to be rescued from slavery? Were they about to be set free? Were they about to be saved? No. They had already been saved, hadn't they? They had already been rescued. They had already been delivered. The law wasn't given to the people. And God didn't say, if you do this, then I will rescue you and I will save you. No, God said, I have saved you. Now, this is the way you are to live. Listen. The commandments of God were never given to us as a way for us to earn our salvation. No man can be justified by the law. The law was given to us to show us how to live in obedience once we have been saved. We don't obey God to earn His grace. We obey God because we have experienced His grace. Amen? And listen to me, church. 
If you don't have a desire to obey God deep in your heart, you do not know him. The law is given to God's people showing them how to live in his kingdom. The law is, is both a road map showing us the way to kingdom living, but also a mirror that shows us how far we fall when we seek to live a kingdom life because there's no way we can read these Ten Commandments without seeing that we fall short, every one of us. Now, some of you are probably saying, well, not me. I've never done that. Bull. You broke the first one. You should have no other gods before me. If you're here and, and you say you've never put a God before the one true God in your life, you're a liar and you've broken another commandment every one of us have when we have been selfish and self-centered and me-centered we have put ourselves before God we have put ourselves on the throne of our life as God we've broken that commandment and the Bible says in the second commandment that our God is a jealous God when God says do not take my name in vain you say, well, I've never said GD or whatever else. That's not what this is talking about, though you should never say that. This is talking about dishonoring God's name. It's living in a way that brings shame to who God is. When I was growing up, occasionally I would, I would hear my dad say to me, son, remember who you are. And we as believers need to remember who we are. When the Bible says, remember the Sabbath to keep it, ho it holy, that's telling us we need to trust God and not ourselves. And how many times have we not trusted God like we need to? We could go on and on and on. Jesus told us if we've had anger in our heart towards someone, we've already committed murder. He said if we've ever lusted over someone, we've already committed adultery. And there's no one in this room who who's never coveted something that someone else has. We're guilty. We're sinners. We've broken God's law, and God's law isn't given to save us. God's law is given to show us how he wants us to live, but it's also given to show us that we need a Savior. And praise God we've got one, amen? We've got someone who has given us a new covenant. I want you to listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we're going to have to wrap this up. Galatians chapter 2, it says, No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. You think you've done a good job? You hadn't. None of us have. Galatians 3, But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. You break one, you break them all. You break one, you're a lawbreaker and you're condemned. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture said it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of life is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on a cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law. Does that mean that we shouldn't seek to 
obey God's law? No. The Bible says if we love Him, we will obey His commandments. The Bible says His commandments aren't burdensome to us. But what that means is I don't have to try to live my life in a way to please God because I am pleasing to God. I'm His prized possession. I'm His chosen treasure. He loves me just the way I am. And because He loves me and He has called me and He has redeemed me with all my heart, I want to obey Him. I want to serve Him. I want to follow Him. And as I look at His commands, they aren't burdensome to me. I see His commands as ways to live in freedom. I see His commands as ways to, to honor Him. I see His commands as ways to live life the way He created me to live it in the first place. And when we know Him, we will see that. So where are you? Have you entered into that covenant relationship with God? Do you know that you're His prized possession? Have you become a kingdom of priests? Are you seeking to be a holy people? That's what He's called us to. We've got to take that seriously. When we do, it changes everything. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, there's nothing more important for you to do today than that. He loves you. He saves you. He wants a relationship with you. He's calling you right now. Will you respond? If you're here and you don't have that relationship, I want to challenge you today. Humble yourself to God. Acknowledge your sin. Give Him your life and let Him save you. You can pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you today knowing that I am a sinner. I've failed you. I've disobeyed you. So sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave so I could be forgiven. Right here, right now, and I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. Come into my life and make me brand new. From this moment on, Jesus, I want to live for you and I want to serve you and I want to follow you because I love you. Because you love me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.